What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Grant Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam Kalau, and we are Atlanta's own. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, black ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, good evening to you, as always, sir. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad. I, I enjoyed the format of our last show, but it, uh, it feels nice to be back to the regular format and have some actual news to discuss. Yeah, I, I, I like the hockey retrospective. Uh, we promised Olympics uh, and 96 Olympics would be our next quarantine retrospective. Didn't really get around to doing that. Um, and then luckily for us, we were bailed out by the NFL draft happening uh, last week through the weekend. Yeah, the night, what it came down to for me was just constant procrastination on how to start researching, even which route to go with the Olympics. Uh, it's just a huge subject. So laziness came into play, but the, like you said, the draft bailed us out. And, um, this evening while I was waiting for you, what would you guys have like a three hour dinner over there tonight or something? Uh, was it, it was like an hour. That's a long dinner. Oh yeah. <laughs> on a we, were, we, were watching, we were watching damn Ozarks too. So anyways, there you go. Anyways, I didn't know what time we were starting, so I sat down and uh, started watching the 95 Olympics. I mean, not the 95 Olympics, the World Series. Ah, makes more sense. Have, have you seen that going on on Fox Sports Net? Yeah, I heard they were replaying it. Dude, I would highly recommend it. Like, they're doing a game every night, um, but I went and watched the replay of game one, and I got into it. Like, the first inning, Kenny Lofton swiped third. Peter O'Brien had a perfect throw and like right on the bag, but Chipper's tag was just a little late on the chest and the umpire like just made an emphatic safe call and he was a hundred percent correct, but it was still like exciting and also made me realize how much better the game was without instant replay because it was the right call. But in today's day and age, it absolutely would have been looked at. And then there'd be like a four minute delay and just a bunch of bullshit. Um, but I'm looking forward to watching this whole thing because I didn't get to fully, like I said, I was five or six. I know that you remember like every single moment since you came out of the womb. <laughs> so it's a little different for for you. But uh, yeah, I, d- I definitely don't remember watching this at all. My only memory of the 95 World Series is watching the 1995 Atlanta Braves World Series VHS cassette um, and my basement on car rides probably at least 25 to 30 times in my life. So that's my memory. So to, I'm looking forward to seeing the whole games and it's, uh, you know, it, it feels like baseball on TV. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's uh that was a really fun series for sure. And the majority of my memories come from that 95 VHS tape as well. Uh, I really didn't start to develop that uh, photographic memory until I was six years old. So it was about one year beforehand. Okay, so you don't remember watching that either. I remember watching it, but it's vague. It's like I don't have like really carved out memories of of watching it. I, I remember watching it. I just don't really like I couldn't say yes from my memory of watching it, I remember this. But I remembered it. I remember watching it, just nothing specific. Veronica was watching it in the background with me and um she was like, So you remember watching this, right? I was like, No, I was like Five or six, I don't remember. She's like, wait, so you don't really have any memories of the Braves winning the one championship that they have won? I was like, no, that's why (laughs) this is all so tragic for us. And that's the only 
one that Atlanta has. It's uh, very unfair. Could have said it that's, better. That's why we do this podcast. Yeah, you know, if we had won like the 95 World Series, 96 World Series, you know, maybe like one more, and the Falcons have won at least one Super Bowl, you know, you probably wouldn't be as inclined to do this as we are, as, as we are today. We need, we need an outlet for our suffering, you know. When you win all the time or you've won multiple championships in, in, in recent memory, you don't need an outlet. You're fine. You're, 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 you're happy all the time. You have a good life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, like, everyone in uh, all those cities that have won their life is fantastic. They got no issues going on at all. They're no. just loving it. Yeah. You have nothing to bitch about. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. No epidemics. No, no, no money trouble. No, no, nothing, nothing can uh, – can supersede your joy of, of winning a sports championship as a fan. We don't want to hear it here at Atlanta Zone. <laughs> uh, let's dive into the NFL draft, Adam. It happened last Thursday through Saturday or Sunday. Who knows? Um, it was a little more current. Yeah, it was interesting for me watching it. I haven't been that excited to watch the draft in a while. Even watched part of the second round, which I hardly ever do. Did not watch third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, but got about one and a half rounds out of me. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was, I mean, obviously most of that I assume was due to coronavirus and not having anything live to watch and forever. Um, but I thought it was NFL did a great job with it. I know. I remember when they first announced that they were going on with the draft, there was some, I mean, some people were complaining about it saying, Oh, come on NFL, put, put others lives over the draft, but you don't have to be there in person for the draft. So it was perfect. I think a lot of, I saw something like 55 million viewers or something crazy like that. Um, so yeah, a lot of people were watching and it worked out great. There weren't any technical glitches. I mean, they did the little thing with the fans in the background on TV, which was, you know, kind of get the feeling that, uh, fans are there. Um, so I thought it was really cool. I we did a little Zoom chat with uh, some of our friends to watch it together. Um, yeah, it was a it was a good night. Yeah, for sure. And I, I agree. I thought they did a really nice job with it. And it was the first time I've ever worn my jersey while watching the NFL draft. I was like, who knows if I'll ever be able to wear this thing again? Right. Well, I sure as hell hope you can, Graham, because that would be very sad. That would be that'd be a, that'd be a tragedy. Yeah, and there's, going into the draft, there's so much speculation about the Falcons, and I think there were rumors that had them trading as far up as to number two to get Chase Young, which would have, you know, I was kind of pushing forward in the moment, but in hindsight, um, we just needed more depth, and I think that's that's what this draft brought. Yeah, there were specific holes that were glaring, particularly at cornerback, defensive line, and it seems like whenever we've had those issues in the past, Thomas reaches for somebody that isn't within the position of need. And I know there's the whole debate between need and best player available, but it's like, you know, when we drafted Calvin Ridley, even though I love Calvin, I was like, this doesn't seem like the right thing for us to do because we had so many other glaring holes. This time, though, it was like every pick that happened um, was a result of having to fill in holes in the roster with hopefully good players. But, you know, each pick, you know, when I don't know that much about the players coming out, uh, at least initially, particularly, you know, Matt Hennessy from Temple, who drafted in the third round offensive lineman, 
I was like, oh, cornerback makes sense. Defensive tackle, defensive end hybrid with Marlon Davidson makes sense. I mean, every every pick, I was like, you know, even Michael Walker from Fresno State, the linebacker, fourth round, makes sense. The punter in the seventh round, makes sense. There was never a pick where I was like, even when I don't know the intangibles about a guy, I was like, oh, why the fuck are we drafting that position? It's the first time I could say that in a Thomas Dimitrov draft, maybe going back to 2008. Which was really refreshing because, you know, these guys are kind of drafting for their lives still at this point, um, Dan Quinn and Dimitrov. And a lot of these picks are not necessarily picks for this year. So that's why trading up to two I thought was a possibility because they're willing to mortgage the future because they're just trying to win this year. But by them not doing that and drafting, I mean, what, third round Matt Hennessy, he's a potential, I mean, he's going to take over for Alex Mack possibly next year. Um, the safety we drafted, Jalen Hawkins in the fourth round. Next year we have no safety signed, so that's another pick for next year probably. So at all, I mean, it's, I'm very happy with the fact that they, yeah, we, we improved Davidson, Terrell, uh, probably Michael Walker. They're all going to help us this year, but a couple of these other guys, it's, that's all about next year, depth pieces and next year. So it's uh, – Good on those two for keeping the organization's uh, future outlook over their own personal needs. Yeah, and I think, you know, even if you had traded up to the second pick and taken Young, right, you know, if that had worked out, it was like, okay, you've probably lost the majority of your picks this year, some next year, hell, maybe even some a year later, you know, two years down the road. So it's like, yeah, you could have done that, but you, the, Ross, the roster already has a lot of glaring holes particularly in the secondary, would be even worse off, I think, even if you had drafted Young, even though he would help across the board, seemingly. That's that's too much to give up when you have as many holes as the Falcons do. And even though we are at least lauding this draft on paper in the sense of filling holes that were needed, you also have to look back to how these holes were created with Dimitrov and Quinn. So it's like they're cleaning up their own mistakes. They were, you know, on paper, seemingly it's a decent draft. But we have to remember that it was in response to mistakes they've made in the past. Like, you know, uh, not being able to draft a defensive end worth shit forever. Um, you know, having Robert Alford and, and Desmond Trufant no longer on the team because they didn't work out Jalen Collins. You know, those are, those are high draft picks. So, you know, there's a reason why well, we're here. Trufant tr- tr- was a money thing. Jalen Collins was a drug thing. They... They've done – that's the one area I don't think you can fault them too much is they're uh, – they've done well drafting in the secondary from Keanu Neal to Ricardo, Ricardo Allen to Monte KZ. Um, Alfred was, was bad, though. Yeah, but o- o- overall, they're, they've, they've done pretty damn well out there. It's okay. I wouldn't say it's anything outstanding. But you can't, you can't but, blame Trufant you know, leaving for because they couldn't afford him anymore on them. Well, yeah, but he was never the cornerback we really needed, I felt like. I felt like he had like maybe like one or two years of being like a top-tier corner, but other than that, for how high you selected him, it was a disappointment, I think, in the, at the end of the day, and just the lack of interceptions. And it's one of those things that, you know, I think we can segue into A.J. Terrell here. Um, it's also a guy that didn't really get a lot of interceptions at Clemson. Before we jump into Terrell's uh, stats and whatnot. I thought it was really funny that we were watching the draft on Zoom, as Adam mentioned, and we get to the point where, you know, Falcons drafting, and it's like AJ Terrell, 
quarterback out of Clemson. And I was like, you know, so we watched like them talk about it. And then I was like, so Adam, what do you think of this guy? And he's like, I have no idea who he is, which was hilarious considering Adam's a, uh, you know, went to Clemson, pretty big Clemson fan. Funny moment. I, I had a feeling you were going to throw me under the bus for that moment. So uh, I'll take this time to also throw you under the bus where after this pick, Graham is bitching about our defensive line and how it's just such a tragedy that we didn't pick anyone on our defensive line. And I was like, you know, we really didn't need to go first round with them. If you think we're going to the season with who we have, I don't know. You called me a dumbass or something, something that crossed the line. And it occurred to me that Graham, this co-host of Atlanta Zone and Atlanta Sports Podcast, had completely forgotten the fact that we drafted Dante Fowler Jr. I mean, that we signed Dante Fowler Jr. a couple months ago. Hey, man, it's been a weird time. My, my brain's not been in sports mode for a couple of months, so I was uh, I was I was shaking off the cobwebs there. And I apologize for my uh, outrageous outburst in the moment of uh, of passion. <laughs> well. Anyways, yes, I admit uh, us drafting Terrell was not on my radar at all. Uh, I don't think it was on anyone's radar, really. I mean, you you look at all the mock drafts, and that's not a name I saw pop up once. But, um, you know, in hindsight, after digging into the guy a little more, I feel pretty good about it overall. Yeah, he's got good size, 6'1", 190, which is great for a corner. You, know, you see a lot of corners these days being under six feet, well below 200 pounds um, in the 180 range, 185 range. So it's nice to see he's got, you know, good athleticism. Um, and it seems like he's a very physical corner, which is interesting. And he doesn't seem like he totally fits into the, the scheme the Falcons run. We run a lot of zone uh, defense. And he was more of a man-to-man cover corner uh, and didn't really do a lot of zone coverage at Clemson. So I'm really interested to watch him um, – see how he gels with the Falcons secondary, particularly when everyone on the cornerback uh, position is so young. You know, Isaiah Oliver, Kendall Sheffield, and now him. I mean, these guys have a combined, what, two years of experience between them in the NFL? Something like that? Two, three years? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is, a, I mean, he's an experienced player, though, playing three years at Clemson. Um, Dabo just raved about him. I don't know if you saw this quote Dabo compared him to uh, the Deshaun Watson at his position. And just in terms, just in terms of his consistency uh, showed up as a freshman ready to go. Um, He's played in two national championships now Um, just loves his character. And he's got a lot of confidence, which I think we just need like him and, our second round pick Marlon Davis and neither of them are lacking in confidence at all. And that's what this football team needs. Like we're coming from, you know, the Vic Beasley's true font. You don't hear from those guys much at all. It seemed like they were kind of just there. So I think it's a good thing that we're getting a couple guys that, you know, they know they're great. They want to be great. They think they're destined to be great. And um, I think that, this football team needs that push from people like that. Yeah, and I, I would agree, particularly on Davidson. We'll get to his quote a little later. Uh, that was pretty funny from the combine. But uh, another thing that people were kind of upset about was, you know, everyone thought this was a reach pick. You know, there was rumor that we moved to get C.J. Henderson, the, the Florida cornerback, 
um, but that didn't happen. And so then once we drafted Terrell, people were complaining it was a reach. And, and these people that are complaining it was a reach are, you know, not in the NFL. I mean, there were multiple reports that the Raiders were planning to draft him at 19 and that the Saints wanted to trade up in front of the LA Rams in order to draft him. So there were plenty of teams that were vying for his services. So, I mean, yeah, you can say it's every right. Anyone has every right to say it's a reach, but to have multiple NFL teams wanting to draft him around this position, you know, says a little something about him, I think, in terms of his value. And I also liked when I was watching some film on him, like I mentioned, the physicality at the line of scrimmage. And he also knows how to look for the ball as opposed to, you know, guys like Robert Alford and other quarterbacks in the past that just like run blindly with the receiver and never look for the ball. Um, so that was, that was nice to see. Yeah. I mean, he had the pick six in the national championship game against Alabama a couple of years ago. So, I mean, a lot of people knocked him on his game against LSU and, I think my initial reaction was just basing it off that one game where he just got torched a couple times. But LSU was just a different animal as well. That's one of the best offenses of all time. So you, you got to look at his entire body, and he had a stellar college career. Um, and I, he's one of those guys, like, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I watch every single Clemson game uh, all the way through. That's just not true at all. But I feel like it's a good thing that he wasn't like number one on the top of my head for players. Cause people didn't throw to him. I think he was like the, uh, I don't remember the stat, but I, I saw the stat where, uh, he was targeted very little, which is what you want out of a shutdown corner. So you don't necessarily get all the chances for interceptions cause they're not throwing your way. They're, they're picking somewhere else. Right. I noticed that he only had six picks in three seasons and 13 total passes defended. So that said, and he played pretty much every damn game. I don't think he, he may have missed a couple, but, you know, it's 14 games, 15 games seemingly every season from what I, what I saw. So, and, uh, yeah, that either that, – that, and he had a number of tackles, so that says to me that, you know, he's not being picked on that often if, if that's uh, – if he especially if he only has 13 passes defend, defended. So Yeah, we know Al, Robert Alford's name so damn well because they were th- thrown to his side of the field any chance they could get. Right, and I think – it would be really nice if this could sort of start a, a trend of drafting more physical corners, less finesse corners that are just trying to keep guys in front of them. Or we can actually, you know, one thing that drives me nuts in the Dan, the Dan Quinn defense, um, ever since he's been here, regardless of who the coordinator is, it's just the amount of space we give receivers is just mind boggling. No one challenges at the line of scrimmage ever. So maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm reaching here. This is a reach, a personal reach. But drafting a physical corner like this hope, says to me, hopefully, that they're trying to change the philosophy of the defense a little bit and get a little more aggressive, do a little more man-on-man coverage, and stop you know, totally relying on this cover three soft zone bullshit, play off 10, 15 yards off the receiver that we see week in, week out. Uh, I, I just can't stand it anymore. Yeah, I, I hear you there for sure. Um, and I, I, what you're saying about us being so young, I agree with that. But, I mean, I like – some of these guys, I mean, Kendall Sheffield, he was showing out at the end of the year. Uh, my, my boy, Bleeder Ray Wilson, is always there. Isaiah Oliver, like, there, there's some potential. And, and, then, of cor- and then, of course, if, if Count O'Neill can stay healthy, um, along with big balls, we got something, Graham. Yeah, and I, I think having Ricardo Allen hopefully healthy to guide the way as a defensive captain will help these guys for sure. 
Um, and the good news about, you know, Raheem Morris and Jeff Ulbrich are still there. Um, you know, that unit really turned around the second half of the year in the secondary. Uh, did a good job considering they were without Trufant and were sort of just thrown into the deep end. So, you know, hopefully we see progression from the players that return. We see some more physicality. Uh, with the addition of A.J. Terrell, that can hopefully infect the rest of the secondary and the, the scheming and things like that. And that would be really, really awesome. So we shall see how that progresses. But, I mean, I think considering what we needed, this pick makes sense, like I said. Yeah, you can't – I don't understand how you could be upset at it. Like, there was the the other – the Espinoza, was he the, line, the D end out of Iowa that I think a lot of people had us take in? And, like – he produced all three years at Iowa, but he's also just got Vic Beasley written all over him, like undersized DN one move. It's like, I, I don't want to take, and they were already saying he's a project. Whereas Terrell, he can come in and be our number one corner right now. So um, I'm happy they went that route versus a guy who could be good, but not great. Whereas Terrell, he could be a shutdown corner. I, I hear like his floor is true font. That's just floor, basically. So you're getting an, an, an above average corner from the get go, potential to, for a very high ceiling. So I like it. Good stuff. And yeah, and I think that's a, a recurring theme with this draft class is experience. We're not drafting people that, you know, haven't played a lot. Um, you know, the next guy, Marlon Davidson, played all four years at Auburn. He was drafted in the 47th pick in the second round. Um, He's a defensive tackle, defensive end hybrid, and primarily played defensive end at Auburn. Um, but he had a hell of a season last year. Uh, Twelve and a half tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks. Uh, all SEC first team player. And the big news about this guy, Adam, unlike our other defensive ends of the past, is that he has a spin move, which is really, really big for us. Yeah, I'll be I'll be curious to see because I think they want him as a D tackle. Like, I mean, I guess you could go either route with it. I've I've heard D end on he could play D end on running plays and D tackle on passing plays, but I don't know, man. I just want him in the middle there with Grady. Well, what about your boy Tyler Davidson? We just resigned. Well, he, he's he, he's the he's the run stopper. So you put him in a defensive tackle, put in Davidson defensive tackle for passing scenarios. Yeah. But I mean, if if, if, they, if they like him at the end, I love it. But I, I I want him, I don't want him like because I think he played mostly D tackle, but learned D end. So I don't I don't want him learning a new position. If he, well, he was he was primarily defensive end last year, so he did his damage on the on the edge for the most part last season. He's played both though, so it's not like he's it's a foreign concept to him. And the, another good thing is is that. I'm sure he'll get some time on special teams and he had three block kicks in 2018. So he knows what he's doing there, um, which is insane to have that many block kicks in a single season. Um, and as Adam mentioned, the, 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 one of the, is the attitude, right? I'm paraphrasing here, but he sounds like an angry son of a bitch, which I really like because you know, Falcons, everybody's such a nice guy. And I'm not saying he's not a nice guy, but he's got an edge to him. Uh, he said the thing he loves most about football is you can hit the hell out of people. You don't have to worry about the police coming after you. Um, you can just pulverize the hell out of somebody. That's the thing he loves most about football. So 
I think that's great. We need, <laughs> like you were saying, we need someone with a little, with a little grit and edge uh, to, to them that just wants to knock the shit out of somebody. Yeah, and I've got a direct quote from him along the same grounds, just with his confidence. He said, "When they pulled me from the from the womb, I was the best. I had the best written across my forehead. That's not being cocky. That's not being cocky. That's just a hundred percent honest. That's what I'm talking about." And I just love this pick because he's going to make everyone on that line better, too. Grady's not going to be double teamed every play. Dante Fowler's going to have a little more time. Tack, the guy who we know can get to the quarterback, but sometimes just need half a second more. He's always seemed to be a half a second behind. The combination of Terrell and Marlon Davidson, that could be that half a second. So we could see a good year from Tack with these improvements. Yeah, and I think this this really lengthens the defensive line and really diversifies how you can use players and certain personnel. You know, we saw attack plenty of times last year, line up in the tackle position. So, you know, it can be interesting to really see what kind of combinations work well against specific teams, picking on the, the, the weaknesses of, of various offensive lines and really seeing, you know, you know, Gray's a fixture on, on, on edge and I mean, not on edge, sorry, on the interior and, you know, Fowler's going to be on the outside, but, how this, how they use Davidson, how they use Tack, is going to be really fascinating to watch. Um, in terms of, you know, are they going to line up together? Who's going to be defensive tackle? Who's going to be the DE? Uh, you know, you can really mix it up. You can do whatever you want on any play, which is really cool. Yeah, it is. I um, I don't love our depth there still. Obviously, we, I mean, besides those players you mentioned, we've got like Sanat, a D tackle, uh, your boy Stephen Means. I think he's one of the top backups right now. It kind of hurts losing, um, uh, what's his face? Claiborne. Yeah. Like I, I'd like a, a depth, a veteran depth addition at some point here on June, on June 1st, we free up $10 million from Trufant's contract. So I think there's still more moves to be made, but you know, just the potential that's starting for with Davidson in the mix there. It's, it's pretty awesome. Definitely. And I think you're exactly right. I think, uh, the defensive line is not a finished product. You also have to keep in mind the Falcons signed 20 undrafted free agents after the draft, so one of those guys could come in and help. You also might be able to pick up someone else uh, when all these cuts happen in June who could be a, a viable piece to optimize the, the defensive line. So, yeah, there's a lot of room there. And, yeah, I really I like this pick. Um, and I think we can uh, just move along to Matt Hennessy, the the – center guard hybrid out of temple primarily played center um and as i mentioned he's the heir apparent to alex mack uh very durable offensive lineman only missed four games over three seasons the uh the one issue a lot of people are having with him um is that he's only 308 pounds so he's going to need to put on a little bit of weight i think to really make a huge impact in the nfl but that's not something that seems out of the ordinary to do I would also say if he is going to challenge for a starting guard position this season, he is going to need to pack on some weight for sure. Although our guys who started at guard last year weighed, you know, 20, 30 pounds more than him and Brown and Carpenter, and they both sucked. So what do I know? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like he is a center and Alex Mack weighs 311. He weighs 307. So that's not a concern, but yeah, if he's going to try to play guard and I, I think, the playing guard thing. That's not what he's brought in here for. Uh, it might just be a ploy to get one of those 
Jamon Brown or Carpenter to like play up with the competition. Maybe is just that much better and can win it. But, um, you know, he's good size for a center and that's what we're really bringing him in for. So if Alex Mack goes down, which, you know, he's 34 now, we've seen him get hurt a couple of times over the past couple of years. We got Hennessy to back him up instead of Harlow, Sean Harlow, John Wetzel, some, someone like that. Yeah. And a lot of people have really praised his athleticism seems to be like, um, above average athleticism for, a, for an alignment, which is good with this zone blocking scheme and to be learning from one of the best centers in, in football over the last, you know, eight, nine years. And, and Alex Mack is also uh, really big for him. So hopefully he can come in here and really help us out um, either in death position or, you know, if, if he can challenge for that guard spot, I mean, I, I'd say he should get every opportunity to compete for that. Cause I think that that's still a hole. Yeah. The more experience he can get this year, the better for next year when he does take over for Mack. For sure. Uh, but, yeah, I, I like I like the pick. A lot of people had him rated as the top center in the draft. Could have gone in the second round. Um, so, one, once again, I think um, TD and Dan Quinn have done pretty well here. We have Michael Walker, Fresno State, who's drafted in the fourth round, who also adds some depth to the defensive line because he – played defensive end primarily in 2018, but also played linebacker in 2019. But he, he rushed the passer as a linebacker uh, last year too. So had, you know, a pretty decent run at Fresno State. Started at Arizona State, transferred to Fresno State. Um, as a defensive end, he had 13 and a half tackles for loss and four sacks. And as a linebacker, he had nine tackles for loss and two and a half sacks um, and racked up a ton of tackles just individually up the field. Um, but the one thing I really liked, uh, at least looking at the statistics, was 10 total passes defended, with six of them coming when he's playing the defensive end, which shows that he knows you know, his way around the ball at the line of scrimmage, which is, which is great. So, I mean, who's to say that he could have come in and, and get some snaps at defensive end this year? Well, I think our depth at linebacker is just atrocious. So I think it's kind of expected that he's going to step in and take one of those, the starting role that uh, we're looking to fill this year. Like, I mean, have you looked at our linebackers? Which is one of the reasons why I wish we could have, you know, not won as many games last year, so we could have been in a position to draft. Who was the guy, Adam, from Clemson, who uh, everybody loved, who played all over the field? Oh, Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, he played just tons of, yeah, everywhere on the field. You know, that was the kind of guy I really wish we could have gotten. Um, Unfortunately, it just wasn't in the cards. And not to say Walker will live up to that, but, I mean, his his, his physicality and the way he plays, he seems like – you know, the next sort of iteration of Devondre Campbell. So I don't know how, you know, if he's going to be, you know, handed the starter's job or anything like that, but I think we'll see him on the field a good amount this year. Yeah. And this, I mean, hopefully we pick up another veteran to fill in some of this depth because our other options there is like Leroy Reynolds, I suppose. But um, yeah, everything I've read about Walker seems like he has great awareness on the field. He's a solid tackler. Um, he, he's not a big Keanu Neal whopper, but he's gonna he's gonna make the tackles, which is, you know, I think we've seen enough linebackers just making these bullshit arm tackles on the Falcons. To I just want someone that's gonna bring them down. I don't care how they do it. Right, and that and that was the thing. A lot of people said it's like he's not flashy, but he he makes the play, um, kind of thing. So some speed, some speed concerns with him, I believe. Yeah, but he's not 
that fa- but you know what? Duke Riley was the fastest linebacker or whatever in the universe, and he's he's you know we know his story and how bad he's been. It was hot trash. Like all of these guys seem a little different than what TD normally drafts, which you know leads me to believe that maybe it'll uh, hopefully it'll be a better outcome uh, for a lot of these guys than some of our picks in the past that just haven't been up to snuff. You think? Uh... Rich McKay had anything to do with this sensible draft? It could have been because remember he took on that he took on that role where he's back in football ops again, and uh, I mean I've heard that just everywhere how this this just isn't a typical TD and uh, Dan Quinn draft. Yeah, the only guy that really seemed like a a typical TD uh, DQ pick was was Jalen Hawkins who we drafted also in the fourth round. You know, seemed kind of like a. Keanu Neal style guy, big header, can get in the box, play physical uh, for a safety. So that was really the only guy that I was just really like, okay, this, this feels like a typical Dimitrov, Dan Quinn pick. But yeah, you're right. Everyone else doesn't really fit the mold, which I like. It makes me more confident in their abilities because God knows how many people they've whiffed on over the years. And once again, I mean, even with that Jalen Hawkins pick, like none of none of our current safeties are under contract for next year. So it is a future. It is a future-looking pick, and Keanu Neal hasn't been healthy the last two years. So we might need that depth at safety. And Ricardo Allen's getting older, and you know we know what KZ can do when he plays safety. But I agree with you. I mean, it's a when you think about, it, especially down the line, it's a thin position. Um, do you have anything else on Hawkins you want to touch on? Yeah, no, nothing. I mean, there is a lot of talk about him being a reach in the fourth round, but also. We didn't have a fifth or sixth round pick, so it might be one of those things where, you know, maybe that was just their guy. They could have taken him in the sixth round, but that wasn't an option for them. So, uh, yeah, it's the one that I don't expect him to be starting this year. The the well, Hennessy either, but Hennessy has a chance. But um, you know, he's all right, experienced player. We'll hopefully he develops, contributes on special teams. And the last guy we got is round seven, pick number 228, Sterling Hoffrichter from Syracuse, who I know that I got Adam pretty riled up given your affinity for, for a quality punt. Like in the AFC, what was it, AFC divisional game, you were just obsessed with that, that Tennessee uh, punter. You're just like, oh, this guy is just the best damn punter you've ever seen. I mean, look at the hang time on that, the position of the ball. He was a game changer. Oh, I agree. I'm just saying, I just knew that would make you excited because you have a very, you know, you have a deep appreciation for, for punters. Yeah, I mean, the strange thing is I'm sure we could have gotten this fellow. Um, I wrote down on my little note sheet here, I wrote down everyone's name except his. I just wrote down punter. Because <laughs> um, it's like he's a punter. We right. could have gotten him as an undrafted free agent. Um, unless they just really love the guy. I thought Alan Bailey did a fine enough job at the end of the year. So, I mean, I guess they wanted to bring in competition. It's a little, a little strange, but, um, you know, we got Matt Bosher in the seventh round. That one worked out for a while. Apparently this kid likes to hit like Matt Bosher does. So, and he can kick long field goals. I think that that was probably the biggest kicker because they don't, well, yeah, pun intended. Um, they don't fully trust, trust my boy young way with, uh, kicks over 50 yards I think this guy was like three for four in his college career on kicks over 50 yards. So that's something to look at. Yeah. And, you know, I'm okay with, with getting a punter at this point too, because I feel like that's just something we need. 
Um, you know, Bosher's time is clearly done. I can't remember who our punter was. I know you said his name. Kyle Allen or Allen Bailey or is whatever. Allen Bailey, Bailey Allen, something like that. Who knows? But I mean, is, um, it, it'll just I'll be, say this much. This guy. Oh, Allen Bailey's on the defensive line. I think Kyle Allen is. I don't freaking know. He's a he's a oh. he's a he's a white. He's, I know it's not Alan Bailey because that's the guy on our defensive line, uh, Stephen Means type. But uh, it it's Ryan Allen. Ryan, Ryan Allen, Allen. Ryan Allen. Kyle Allen's the Panthers quarterback. Ryan Allen. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's totally fine to have some competition up Hunter. I mean, how many times have we gotten upset, especially at Bosch over the last few years, where it's just like, good guy, that was an awful punt. Um, you know, positioning punting is just so important and. Um, you obviously don't want to punt, but when you have to, you want someone back there who can do it really damn well, and hopefully this kid can come in here and, and do the job. And I think you're exactly right. Being able to kick long field goals when you've, you've got a kicker who you're not really that familiar with that you can hopefully rely on in a pinch if you need him is is, is a good thing. So I have, I have really nothing negative to say about this this pick, and it seems like, um, you know, once again, another, another position that we, we need to improve on. So... Screw it. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it, it's a seventh-round pick. I feel like Mr. Hoffreichter has a lot better chance of making the team than any other seventh-round pick would. But you're right. If it doesn't work out, it's not like you can't find another punter somewhere else. So it's, it's, it's not the end of the world. You know, a lot of times you get a seventh-round pick and you pick some defensive end or linebacker. Remember that uh, guy, Tyler Starr? Who we drafted, I think, the year we were on Hard Knocks? Oh, yeah, yeah, And the yeah. long, blonde yeah. hair. He was like the seventh-round pick, and he... Yeah, it's like he was a seventh round pick. You know, how many seventh round picks do absolutely zilch, you know, in their in their careers? And so it's like it's nice to actually say, oh, it's a seventh round pick that actually might have a chance. Not to say that other seventh round picks don't. And there have been successful ones, but you know, right. it's not like they're a dime a dozen. This guy feels like maybe he has a tangible chance given his collegiate career and the position that the Falcons are in when it comes to, to special teams with the with the kicker position. So, man, you're really passionate about this guy. Yeah, your passion inspired me. <laughs> I feel like you've taken on a lot more passion than me about this guy. Proud of you, Graham. Got gotta love punters. It's my boy, Hoffrichter. I might get a damn jersey. One of those ugly ass black red fades. Hell yeah. Hoffrichter, number uh ninety four. Maybe maybe wait till he makes the team. Yeah, it's gonna do. They're probably um, I, I probably have to get a custom made jersey and then have that ordered. Could be worth it. Last thing on Stephen Hoffrichter is that According to the Syracuse, uh, the Syracuse official site, per the Falcoholic, which I'm reading about him now, is saying that he when he ends a kick, he does the Star Trek Vulcan salute. You know, the thing where you spread your fingers out, the thing Leonard Nimoy did. So, so he's a Dragon Con guy. He's a Dragon Con guy. Well, he says it's, uh, it's reflexive. It's not, it's not something he does consciously. But it is hilarious that that's what he does. I just I don't know how you can do that reflexively. I, I have a hard time keeping my uh, index, well, not my index finger, whatever, my uh, ring finger and my pinky together when I'm trying to do the Vulcan salute. Not that I do that very often because I don't really give a shit about Star Trek, but you know I'm struggling with it right now. If you can see me, I do. You you look like an idiot. I, I would I would hope that a punter has a <laughs> I would hope that a punter has a lot stronger hands than you do, Graham, and is capable of. Manipulating his fingers. Actually, I actually do it better with my right hand than I can with my left. That's interesting. Whatever. So that is the Falcons draft class. Uh, one undrafted free agent I want to mention. Mm. Jared Pinckney, tight end out of Vanderbilt. Dude, 6'4", 
257 pounds. Two years ago, he was ranked as one of the top five tight ends in the nation. He had seven touchdowns two years ago with Vanderbilt. And then this year just completely fell off the map. And that was due to, one, an ankle injury, and two, just god-awful quarterback play. So his quarterback from two years ago is now a backup somewhere in the NFL, and he's just got some hot piece of trash as his quarterback, and he only had like 250 receiving yards and two touchdowns last year. So he, a guy who he probably would have been, if he had come out the previous year, drafted in maybe third round, something like that. So uh, certainly a guy to take a flyer on and one I look forward to uh, seeing how he does to maybe be the third string behind my other boy, Jaden Graham. I mean, tight end could be wide, uh, maybe not a wide open competition, but it wouldn't surprise me if that, based off those peripherals that you just gave me, if, uh, you know, we know how much Matt Ryan loves his tight ends. So, I mean, he made Austin Hooper into the highest paid tight end in NFL history. I mean, who was Austin Hooper before he got here? So, you know, go figure. Yeah. Definitely something to keep your eye on. Yeah, a guy just needs a chance. Let's uh, see what he's got. Well, that's your Falcons draft report. Good stuff. I guess the most uh, research we've ever done on a on a Falcons draft. We're usually just like, well, I don't know anything about this guy. He's just a guy. You know? At least with the first three picks. Maybe the other, the, la- the, la- the latter ones who didn't really know what the hell we're talking about. But the first three, I thought... Especially first two, we, we did a good job. Yeah, I mean, I, I even got stuff I didn't touch on with Marlon Davidson. I wanted to mention his uh, his favorite play in his college career was, uh, I think, two or three years ago, chasing down Russell Gage, current number three wide receiver for the Falcons, chasing him down the field for 67 yards and make the tackle before the goal line. Son of a bitch. And let's keep in mind, too, uh, you know, Davidson's over 300 pounds. You know, it's not yeah. like he's a Vic Beasley type that has some speed that's, you know, 250 to whatever Dick was. You know, this guy's a little north of 300 pounds and he's got great athleticism for his size. But that, yeah, that, that doesn't that isn't just a sign of his speed, too. It's also a sign of he's got a motor. Have you ever seen Vic Beasley run 67 yards down the field to make a tackle? Uh, I saw him return a fumble for a touchdown. That's a different situation. Uh, going about like 80. Yeah, exactly. No, I haven't seen him do that even in past coverage i feel like he i think i feel like vic thought he was like playing like uh four square or something and he had to stay in his square so if he wasn't immediately involved in the play you could find him in his square right just sitting there so i I look forward i'm really excited about that kid yeah i think he's definitely the at least on paper seems to like be the jewel of the class you know we'll see how training camp shakes out and things like that but he's the guy that i'm definitely most excited about for sure Let's talk about baseball, Adam. When was the last time we did that? February? Uh, Bob Bob Nightingale of USA Today, per Adam Kalal of Atlanta Zone, has reported that uh, Nightingale writes that there's there's a plan going around where MLB would be reorganized into, what is it, uh, uh, three divisions that are interleague, ten teams each division, and that we could get baseball by late June. Um, and that the Braves would, for some reason, be in the Central Division. It's just weird that every other team that's on the Eastern Seaboard is in the East, and then we're with, like, the Cubs and the Brewers and the Royals. Although, you know what, am I complaining? Because on paper, we have the best team in this division. So that could definitely work out for us. But I think what's interesting about this is that um, it seems like teams would actually play at their home 
home stadiums. So they would drop this idea that was also proposed where, you know, people would be in Arizona only, or, you know, the Western teams would be in Arizona and the, and the um, other teams that were located on the other side of the country would just play the all season in Florida. This seems to be, um, you know, you wouldn't have fans yet, but you would have a scenario where there would be baseball and it'd be kind of weird, but teams would be actually be traveling around and, and playing in their, their home stadiums. And, you know, uh, this article mentions that, uh, you know, high profile guys like Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw did not want to spend, you know, months and months and months away from their families. So I'm sure the players union had a lot of grievances around being stuck in Florida and Arizona for a whole year. But this is, uh, this is interesting. I mean, at this point they could say, we're going to, everybody's going to play. And uh, I don't know, Freddie Freeman's backyard and Charlie Freeman's going to be, you know, the little three-year-old son's going to be pitching to everybody and be like, all right, let's fucking do it. <laughs> let's put some baseball. But what do you think about this idea? Seriously? I'm starting to get excited about it. Cause before this article came out today, like yesterday, I read about how all the executives feel confident that we're going to play baseball of some sort today. And like the worst case scenario, which I think would be badass, is I've seen the I mean, they're, they're still just throwing out proposals. So this isn't settled on yet. This is just the latest. But the, another thing I saw was a 60 day tournament. Jesus. Round Robin. So, like, it would start with, I, I think, each team would be guaranteed, like, 30 games or something like that. So, it's not like you can just lose a seven-game series and that's it. But it would you would slowly work down. And then once you get to, like, the league championship series, then it would just be a regular straight ALCS, NLCS lead into the World Series. 60 days, you're done at Thanksgiving. So, that's the worst-case scenario, which I think would be sick. <laughs> like, it feels like with the condensed time frame. I don't know. There'd just be more urgency early on in the season. Oh yeah, no, it'd be it'd be unbelievable. But I, I like this plan. This plan, the the new one that you just mentioned. That's we're talking about like a hundred hundred games or so. They they'd be reporting to spring training again in the next couple of weeks, um, and it's all contingent on you know we got some states opening up, some states not. Uh, de- depends on what the CDC says and all this stuff, but. I think some. I think we're going to hear something in the next couple of weeks about this. So yeah, I mean, I just it's it for everyone's advantage. The baseball gets played, the fans, the players, the owners. Um, they even talked in this article about like maybe by the end of the year you can have like a couple thousand people in the stadium or by the playoffs, uh, which it's all going to be surreal. But they're they're already playing in they're playing in Japan, uh, they're playing in Korea. And we're like a couple months behind them in all of this. So just the fact that they're playing and you got like the Premier League set to start up again in like June. Sports are coming back this year. Um, so I, I I feel pretty good about this happening. Yeah. And the other thing that this article calls out, which I thought was interesting, is that Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York and uh, Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot, who I'd never heard of, uh, were saying that teams can play in their own ballparks this summer in Chicago and New York, New York in particular, as we all know, has been just decimated by the damn coronavirus. So for them to be saying that, it's hopefully a good sign. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. As Adam mentioned, there's a lot of hoops to jump through and, th- you know, things that have to kind of play out, but uh, we'll see how it, we'll see how it transpires and hope to God we can get some damn baseball this year. 
Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, watch this 95 World Series. You're going to be jonesing. I just, I, I just imagine Ronald Acuna playing against David Justice and all this shit. It's a, a weird morphed reality I got going on right now. You say you watched uh, game one, right? Oh, I'm in the third inning. That's the rest of my evening. Has, has the Fred McGriff home run happened? Fred McGriff home run happened. Uh, Maddox is just – Maddox is cruising. Um, and someone – because they had watched this last night, most of the Braves Twitter world, and um, just compared watching Greg Maddox again to Mike Soroka and just like really what a fucking masterpiece Soroka's game three against the Cardinals was – that's kind of just got overshadowed because of all the bullshit that happened after that. But yeah, but like I, I could see it, man. Just how I mean, watching Maddox pitch in this game tonight, <laughs> like it's just like so easy, just like shattered bats and just, just cruising along. Like it, it never seems like spectacular. Like in the, in the fact of it, it's not like he's striking everyone out, but it's just like such easy, cool, calm collected pitching and i love it yeah that's the crazy thing with maddox was you know he doesn't have the soroka fastball either what he was able to do is just insane with how he could manipulate his pitches especially on the outside corner of the plate i mean it's like how do you how, how you know it's incredible that that guy did what he did you know he just looks like the most average person in the world he's one of the all-time great pitchers ever um with with stuff that never touched 90 miles an hour you know like everything's yeah. 88, 85, 74, you know, it's just got just the filthiest movement in the damn world. That's particularly at that yeah. point. I mean, he was at the, the peak of his powers for sure. Yeah. I thought it was nuts. I mean, at the beginning of the broadcast, they were saying how they're like, well, it's all but official that Maddox will be the Cy Young winner this year for four years in a row. That's just 91 through 95. Yeah. Yeah. Who, did, who does that anymore? You know, it's interesting. I was, um, we might not have gotten Greg Maddox had we gotten Barry Bonds. And, uh, whenever we did sign Maddox, which I think it was 93, um, or 94, I can't remember. But there was a deal on the table for Barry Bonds that we were going to get him. But if we had gotten him, we might not have gotten Maddox because after the Bonds deal fell through, we signed Greg Maddox as a free well, agent. That's, so that's tough to say. Yeah. Who, who knows which one of those universes results in more World Series? Well, I think that wraps up today's show, Adam. Well, folks, hope you're staying safe out there in the quarantine life. We'll see you at some point. I won't say next week because you never know. But um, until then, rise up, chop on, stay in brotherhood, unite and conquer. Remain true to Atlanta. Hospitalmanship. Hospitalmanship.
Just find someone 